Today on the Travel Guys. In the travel news, Amtrak has restarted service on the Pacific Surfliner, and we have an update on problems at Machu Picchu. Next in the news. At 320, we make you a smarter traveler as we address two items. First is tipping, which frankly seems to be totally out of control. Second is the difference in first-class seating on planes. One first-class ticket can be very different from another. I spent last week with a group of sports leisure travelers making our way from Miami to the Florida Keys and ultimately Key West. At 335, I'll recap the trip and give you some ideas on what to visit if you ever make your way to the Florida Keys. One of our most popular features is the mailbag. And at 350, Mark will answer your questions about why traveling single is so expensive, hacking baggage charges by the airlines, and more. All that coming at you in the next 56 minutes right here on the Travel Guys. On the road again. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Travel and Entertainment Guys, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano here with you. Thanks for coming along. Good to see you again, Mark. Um, Back from a fabulous Sports Leisure Vacations trip to the Florida Keys, I understand. We had a great time. We had spectacular weather. I know you guys were shivering a little bit here, but... It was in the 70s every day in Miami in the Keys, one of my favorite excursions of the year, something we do every year. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, this trip. And for folks who might take a trip to the Keys or might just find themselves in Key West for part of a day on a cruise that they're taking or something like that, give them some ideas of some things to see and do. Miami and the whole Keys, Tom, is really different from California. I love taking people to places, whether nationally or internationally, but especially in our own country, where people get somewhere and it's it's so different. Miami has such a Latin vibe to it, and the pace of life there is a lot faster than any even New York City. Wow. And it's just really a fun place. We went and did airboats and all kinds of stuff. We'll talk about it later. Cool. You know, I, I told uh, some family and others that you were off to uh, to Florida with a group of travelers. And, and they asked me, they said, well, what do they do there? What do they, you know, and I, I kind of like drew a blank. So I says, mm-hmm. well, you, you'll be listening this Sunday. And Mark will, uh, I'm sure, give us a rundown of some of the fabulous things that they participated in. So looking forward to it. At the top of every Travel Guys radio show, we always try to bring you up to date on what's been going on in the travel news. And with it, here's Mark. U.S. Airlines, we've talked about this before. They're reporting their fourth quarter results on Thursday. American JetBlue in Alaska Air reported updated forecasts highlighting better than expected earnings for the full year uh, and for the fourth quarter. So airlines seem to be in good shape at this point, at least until the next Meltdown. Amtrak is restarting Pacific Surfliner service. That's the train that runs between San Diego and Los Angeles. It was uh, knocked out on September the 30th. They had some track issues and then uh, with a hillside moving. 
And then, of course, the rains and stuff didn't help any at the end of December and early January. Anyway, that service will start back up on January the 4th. There are uh, half a dozen, what, eight, nine trains a day between San Diego and Los Angeles. If you're in one city and headed for the other, it is a great way to commute. And also, it's a really scenic ride along the coast there. State Department is cautioning folks against using Uber in Cancun and surrounding areas. Security alert applies to such well-known tourist areas as Cancun, Riviera Maya, Playa del Carmen, and a few others around the area. Application-based ride services such as Uber and Cabify are available in many Mexican cities and generally offer a safe alternative to taxis. However, recently, the system in Mexico has been hacked. A number of times, um, taxi drivers have been harassing and attacking drivers from the ride-sharing apps. So, yeah. So the State Department, at least in the Cancun area, is saying maybe not so much on the ride-sharing bit. If you're headed that way, my my advice to you is do your homework. Be updated before you head down there and get yourself into something. It doesn't mean that your driver is going to do something bad, but there might be other people out there who might complicate the situation. Machu Picchu, have you heard of that before, Tom, uh, in, in Peru? I have. They have ancient ruins there, oh. Aztec ruins. There's a town of about 7,000 people. Mm-hmm. This um, tourist area is reachable generally only by trains. There's one small road, but most tourists go by train, and it's uh, the, the people make a good living who are up on that mountain, and the mountain is a huge cash cow. For the government of Peru, the people of Peru are not real happy with the current government. They've been doing a variety of things to get their attention, and not all of them have worked. So the people at Machu Picchu, despite the fact that tourism is their only livelihood, um, decided that they were going to shut down the one of the world's great tourist attractions, really, and people pay a lot of money to get there. Uh, But they decided to shut the town down, go on strike. They put boulders on the road. They ripped up part of the train tracks. Wow. Uh, So you're not going there, (laughs) at least for a little while. Um, The residents, they had a one-day strike, decided in a vote to continue it for a while longer. So if you have a trip to Machu Picchu scheduled in the next few months, once again, you need to do your homework. And make sure that you know what you're getting into before you go there, because trips are expensive to that part of Peru. It takes a a long time to get there. So Machu Picchu right now has become uh, the source of of some political demonstration. Uh, A Green Book. Remember we talked about the Green Book on the program, Tom, a long time ago? We have. Yeah, we interviewed a a gal who uh, wrote a book about the Green Book. Well, according to the New York Times... Uh, Virginia lawmakers are considering giving travelers the opportunity to explore the routes and places found in the Green Book by pat, by putting up signage and creating uh, tour routes and things like that so that people can revisit some of those places. That sounds really, really, really cool. Alaska Airlines has stopped using plastic cups. Sounds like a good idea. They are going to use com- uh, decomposable paper cups. And a whole lot of brand new, we're out of time here, but a whole lot of brand new 
international flights. If you're thinking of an international vacation in the next 12 to 18 months, be ready. Fares are going to be high. International flights are coming back. There's a lot of new service. So if you're thinking of a destination, go online and see who is going there. There might be somebody who wasn't going there before. I've got 17 countries here from the U.S. where new international service is starting in the next few months. And that is your travel news for today. You can find us at TravelGuysRadio.com, including podcasts of previous shows, uh, as well as stuff to make you a smarter traveler. Also a place for you if you have a travel question you'd like to ask Mark. You can do that right there on the homepage. And speaking of which, at the end of the program at 350, right about there, we are going to go to the Travel Guys mailbag and answer some of your questions. Always one of the most popular features here on the program. Okay, Mark, um, I, you and I were kind of going back and forth and beefing a little bit about uh, this tipping situation, which seems to have gotten out of control every time, you know, you pick something up and there is no service whatsoever, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. There is a screen in front of you, either on your computer or at a walk-up that's uh, asking you to tip 10, yep. 20 and you indicated you even saw higher tips above 30%. Yeah, so I went to Key West last week that had the option to tip 30%. Oh, boy. 30%. I, I, I've, been, I've been in the travel business for over four decades. I've been to a lot of cool places. I've given some good tips to people. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes graft is best handled by cash. But uh, I can't ever remember tipping 30%. Any place, of course. I, I, as a tour operator, I've collected money from people to pay for things, and now I'm distrib- distributing that money. So if I get too crazy, the money's coming out of my pocket, as opposed to my travelers' pockets. But yeah, this has gotten really out of hand, and it's it's not just travel. Let's confess that it's everywhere. There's a guy who was talking in an article I was reading, and we were he was talking about tipping and traveling, and he said the other day he went to pay for his mortgage, and he went into the bank to make the mortgage payment. And at the counter that handled the mortgage payments, the thing asked him when he put his card in if he wanted to leave a tip. Um, he said he was certain that was a mistake. And then after he thought about it for a while, he said maybe it wasn't a mistake. Maybe they were serious about asking me to tip somebody in a business office. Um, I think most people who are listening right now are probably shaking their heads and saying, you know, this is totally out of hand. But then again, there are going to be some people on the lower end of the income scale who are going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. These tips are an incredibly important part of my compensation, and they're how I pay my rent and buy my groceries, etc. And I, I understand that. I get that. There are lots of jobs that forever have been terribly underpaid, uh, housekeepers in hotels, service in restaurants, uh, and, and tips were an important part of their compensation. But now, let's all take a step back and admit that in most cases, particularly in the state of California – The minimum wage has increased significantly, and those people who are flipping burgers and cleaning toilets are making more money in salary than they used to. This doesn't mean that they're still not worthy of a gratuity. When I I stay in a hotel, if the room is clean when I come in and things are in order, by God, when I leave, there should be three, four dollars on the bed. And if, if the housekeeper's only coming every couple of days, then I increase it because I know the room is dirtier and it's going to take her longer to clean it. And if the room was clean, i.e., I got good service before I got there, then I'm certainly willing to pay it forward for the next person. I have a real problem. I'm in the Denver airport. I go to McDonald's. 
There's nobody to take your order, so you go to the to the little kiosk thing, and you, with your finger on the board there, you tell them what you want, and then you put your credit card in, and the screen comes up and asks you if you want a tip. Now, wait a minute. I'm buying fast food in an airport. I've done all the work myself. Now I'm going to walk over to the counter, and a guy's going to call my number and hand me the bag, and I should have tipped for that? I don't think so. I'm sorry, but I just don't think so. I think there are legitimate situations where you should tip people. Like I said, housekeepers in hotels are the most overworked and underpaid people in the whole travel industry. So don't forget them. But the front desk clerk? Maybe not so much. You know, some people will will tip not because they had great service. They'll tip because they're expecting, perhaps, if they do, that that somebody will do something nice for them. You know, uh I don't know exactly what it is that they're expecting, but here again, they're I kind of like, you know, I'll give you a tip for doing nothing. And then when I need something, you'll be willing to see that I get it. And I understand that totally, because I because as a as a tour operator, we do a lot of that. Um, I, I just got back from Key West and we're going to talk about that trip in the next segment. But one of the things there's several places down there that I tip freely because those people do special things for me. And I've been coming there every year for a long time, and I'm going to be back there next year. And when I walk in the door next year, I want them to see me across the room and wave hi and say, hey, Mark, glad to see you. You here know, comes, here which, comes what the tipper. Is, yeah, Mark, your people are not a lot of trouble, and you tip well. Really glad to see you. Um, so I, I get the, the in some cases, a little bribery. Or a, a little extra because I want you to remember me so mm-hmm. that you'll take care of my mm-hmm. people next time. Because as a tour operator, I'm in the business of making sure my people get taken care of. And I want to get as much for them as I can and and it to be as good of an experience as possible. So in some cases, I tip people a little extra so they'll remember me. So the next time, they'll give me the same service they gave me this time. So I get the tipping thing. but I But darn it. And then the other thing that just absolutely fries me is restaurants. And, you know, I think I take a group into a restaurant and, you know, dinner is 50 bucks and there's 30 of us. So that's $1,500. The tax comes out. It's 150 bucks. So when the bill comes, did they figure the tip on the $1,500 worth of food and beverage? No. They figured the tip on $1,650, including the tax. They're expecting me to pay them a 20% gratuity on the tax. Not happening. When you get your bill in a restaurant, look at the bill. Look at what the total was before the tax. That's what you tip on. 10%, 15%, 18%, 20%, 300%, whatever it is you decide to tip, that's the number you should be tipping on. Not the number that's after the, ta- the, the, the tax or in San Francisco, they add a 4% employee benefit surcharge, and that's in that total, too. So now you're tipping on an employee surcharge. And if I sound like I'm a little bit wound up over this, it's because I am. This is really out of hand. And it's ridiculous. And you know who it hurts, Tom? It hurts the people who need depend on the gratuities the most. The people who were getting tipped before all this COVID stuff started, and we all started being a little more generous because, you know, these people weren't working as many hours, and we were trying to take care of everybody and look out for folks and stuff like that. But... Uh, that's over. And so, or at least we're pretending it's over. And so the wages are higher. We've got this inflation situation to deal with in no small part due to the fact that we raised wages so much. 
That's part of this whole inflationary thing. So, folks, um, it's be fair. I'm not suggesting that you don't tip people, but I'm just suggesting that being overly generous in situations where you weren't expected to before is putting the pressure on the rest of us. And, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not I'm not going to tip on tax and I'm not going to give money to people who are not legitimately providing service. And I'm not going to tip before the service is provided. Like when I order on the app and it asks me, do I want to add a tip? No, I'll wait till the food comes. I'll tip the guy who delivers it. I'll pick it up at the restaurant. And when I get it and everything's in order, I'll leave a tip at that point in time if I have to do cash. Uh, I think I think that there you go. Mark is wound up. <clears throat> no, I think that is great advice, Mark. Uh, and I think of all of uh, what you said, the one of the, the key point that I take away is don't tip until the service is provided. And and, you know, you can always a lot of people don't carry cash anymore. And uh, and then that is part of the problem, because here again, you're you're charged, you're paying for whatever it is that you're purchasing, whether it's food to go or, or a sit down restaurant. But, you know, reserve, reserve your tip uh, and make it cash. And, and when right on the on the slip, just write the word cash. Don't put anything there and then and then pay the there bill and then tip what you feel is fair based on the service that you got. Uh, and 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 here again, remember, folks, if your food was slow getting to the table, oftentimes it had nothing to do uh, with the server. So they shouldn't be punished for that because it probably was uh, the result of something that went on in the kitchen or just the usual uh, short staffed. Absolutely. And if you, you know, I, I, I often judge service in restaurants. You know, did I ask for more water and the server dropped everything, went and got the water pitcher and came back to the table? You know, or I asked for more mayonnaise or um, some extra pickles or, you know, more gravy or could I have something that, you know, didn't come with the food and the servers. And, and, you know, remember, I'm usually traveling with a group of people, so they're hustling, trying to get a lot of meals out at the same time. So asking, interrupting the flow and stuff like that is always worthy of of a little extra I think um, courtesy and friendliness and smiling servers and stuff like that also goes a long way. But anyhow, I just wanted to to mention that. All right. And that's more than one man's opinion. All right. Let's shift gears here, Mark, and talk about uh, first class seating and the difference yep. between one and another. Yes. Um, first class seating on some airlines is becoming cheaper and they're starting to call it business class instead of first class. And the reason they're doing that is because there's a difference in first class seats. In Sacramento, you get on a plane and you see these big cushy seats up in the front. And that's all great. That's first class. That's being called business class now by more airlines because they're considering first class to be where you have your little pod and it might be a life flat bed or you've got considerably more space. Maybe it's a transcontinental flight or it's an international flight, something like that. I know people who fly across the country who take the puddle jumper to San Francisco because then they can get on a plane and go all the way across the country. If they're buying an upgraded ticket, first class is a lot different on a five-hour, six-hour transcon from San Francisco than it is from Sacramento. However, um, United Airlines, for example, may have life flat beds on some of their flights and regular First-class seating on others, especially going to Hawaii. You'll find on occasion that some airlines have a, a, a first-class that is, you know, really, really, really above and beyond, and the other is just a big seat with a little extra legroom. So my point here is that 
if you're going to buy an upgraded ticket and pay for first class seating and you're saying, oh, wow, that's a great deal. It's a really that's only twice what coach is. I I'm going to jump all over that. Well, you're probably on a plane that has a very modest first class section that's being perhaps even relabeled a business class because it doesn't really. And also in some first class sections now, you don't even get a meal. If the plane is an hour, if the flight's an hour and a half, two hours, a meal is included. So the airlines have scaled back some of the service on some routes in first class. So that's my point. When you're looking at first class fares, and some of them have gotten real reasonable. So don't be afraid to look at them, but just be aware of the fact that sometimes there are difference is a difference, especially on long distance flights. And where's the best place to find out of the difference between one and another? Where can you find out about what your first class is going to be like? You've literally got to go onto the airline's website and you just for more information on the flight. And eventually it will tell you what the what what the airplane is. You're looking for a wide body plane in most cases. And the other thing to do is pick up the telephone. Unless, of course, you're flying Frontier Airlines. There is no telephone. But uh, if you're flying on a, on a normal carrier, give them a call on the phone and talk to them. If you're going to spend that much money. They're more than happy to talk to you about which type of seat you'd like. The travel and entertainment guys, Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano, headed to the Keys, Florida Keys. Mark, you just uh, came back with your sports leisure uh, vacationers. Did everybody have a good time? I think they did. We're, we're not doing as much travel in Florida these days. Has nothing to do with the political situation there. <coughs> I assure you. Um, anyways, we <laughs> flew into Miami. It's a trip we do every year. And I, and so I'm not trying to sell it because it sells itself. Every year we'll announce it next year at Sports Leisure Vacations. And within a matter of a few weeks, it will be completely full with a waiting list uh, for next January. But this is a great itinerary if you were going to do a trip like this on your own or if you were on a cruise ship perhaps – that docked in Key West for a day and you were wondering, you know, what are the things that I really should prioritize or or do? I have some suggestions for you. So we flew from Sacramento to Miami Mm -hmm. with a stop in Denver. Miami is um, unique in two ways. It's a huge cruise ship destination. There were one, two, three, four, eight large cruise ships. I mean, big as a Empire State Building cruise ships um, sitting in the harbor on Sunday as we did our city tour of Miami. So with those eight ships, that's probably 30, 40,000 people that are getting on and 30, 40,000 people who are getting off. And I'm guessing that happens pretty much every day. So there's a lot of transient traffic in Miami on a, on a daily basis. And Miami also is a very Latin city. It's, it's really where South America and Central America and uh, the Latin mix of Florida And the whole East Coast, it all kind of comes together there and meshes and melds together and creates this really fast-paced, very Latin feel, which I think is, like, really fun because it's it's different from any place else in the country. Miami is really a a unique feeling city. I have a – you know, I haven't been there. Uh, Well, I take that back. I've been there once, but it's a long time ago. I just – when you think of Miami and what you just said, you just imagine music on the street – Pretty much everywhere you go. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that. It's it's a little more. You know, there are there's a little Havana. There are neighborhoods in Miami that would be even more of this and would be less uh, less planetary and more territorial. You know, would be more of, of from a particular people from a particular country or a particular region. But there's just a, a, a huge Latin feel, which for people from California, you know, certainly we have the Hispanic vibe here. 
uh, the Mexican vibe, but it, it's a different it's a different vibe, and it's worth experiencing. Um, I think Miami is a great city. We take people to dinner there at a place called Texas Day Brazil. There are a couple of these around Sac- the Sac- greater Sacramento area now. I think one out in Roseville. It's a South American steakhouse, basically, where they carve the meats. They come around and carve the meats for you, and you get a choice usually of, in this case, it was eight or nine different meats, a uh, big salad bar, vegetables, all kinds of stuff, more food than you could possibly eat. Um, we take people there, even though there's that opportunity in Sacramento, because it is reflective of the type of food that's available in that area. And I would bet that uh, like a Brazilian steakhouse uh, there, it would probably nothing against the ones here locally, but I, I, I can guarantee you they would be better. There are lots of little independent um, South American, Central American steakhouses around the whole Miami area with the same sort of concept. So we happen to use a chain because I stumbled into a really good one uh, location a number of years ago, and I've always got really good service. It's not inexpensive. Um, the group rate was about $60 plus tax gratuity and beverages, so probably about 80 bucks a person. But, uh, but I think all the folks who were with us felt that it, it still offered value. I, I'm the kind of person and the people who travel with my company, um, value can be found regardless of the price. Something could be expensive and still be a good value. Something can be inexpensive and not be a good value. Um, so it, it, price doesn't always the determining factor. Um, the We stay away from the beach there. We stay at a Hilton Garden Inn near a, a place called Dolphin Mall, which is a huge shopping complex. has a an HGI, a courtyard, a couple of other mid-range hotels around it. The further you get from the water, generally, the lesser expensive the hotels. So if you have shuttles or things like that, the Dolphin Mall area is a, a, an area that you can be, plus lots of places to eat, shop. Kill time if your flight isn't leaving till 5 o'clock and you get off the boat at 10. Um, you also, another thing you want to do while you're in the Miami area, if you're from California and you've never done it before, an airboat ride. You want to go out into the Everglades <laughs> and invest an hour and a half. It's a very touristy thing to do. But if you're from California and you've never done this before, then it's something you should do because it's, it's a worthy adventure to get in an airboat and go out. The pilot will take you. He'll spend five or ten minutes giving you kind of an airboat ride and swinging you around and giving you a chance to feel that. But then also the other thing is you're looking for alligators mm-hmm. and other wildlife. We saw a couple of cool birds and a, and a turtle and some other stuff, but we saw an alligator this time really up close and personal. Um, in fact, he showed us the inside of his mouth. Um, oh, boy. So it was a lot of fun. It, 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 the warmer the weather, the more active the alligators are. So if you do an airboat ride, do it in the afternoon if you can because the weather is warmer and the alligators are more active. Small tip. Um, airboat rides are 20 to 30 bucks, and they, the first one is only about 20 minutes outside of the suburbs of Miami into the Everglades. So it's something that you could do in a small period of time. It's not, in, it's not expensive, and it's something that would be very different if you're from the West Coast. Uh, we were singing the theme to Flipper. As we went out there, because, of course, if you remember the old TV show from anybody who's under 50 years old won't know this, but um, it was called Flipper. It was about a dolphin and uh, who are found in the area near the Everglades. But anyway, the the father in that in that show had an airboat. So if you're if you're that old and you can remember that, that's a little bit of what that's about. We went down to Key Largo. There's a great restaurant down in Key Largo called the Fish House. It looks like a total dump from the outside, which is your clue that it's a really good place. 
Um, it's called the Fish House. It's in Key Largo. Good place to stay in Key Largo, not too expensive, the Hampton Inn. Um, the reason you pick this Hampton Inn is because it has a tiki bar that backs up to the water, and you, if there is a sunset, you'll get a great view of it. Doesn't matter what room you have, you come down to the bar, and you don't even have to get a drink. They have a little beach there, and you can enjoy the sunset. We happen to catch a great sunset. And then just across the street is the Fish House. Terrific food, reasonable prices, absolutely a, my highest recommendation in uh, Key Largo. As we made our way down the coast to Key West the next day, we stopped off and at a place called the Dolphin Experience, where um, they help dolphins and uh, who have issues and things like that and, and, and to help take care of them, train them a little bit. It was a lot of fun. Uh, highly recommend that. There are a lot of places, wildlife places, as you make your way through the Keys. Most of them are commercial. If you do your homework, some of them are nonprofits and are, you know, have a mission. Uh, the Dolphins, there's a turtle hospital where they literally fix up hurt turtles. Uh, and you can tour the place. Um, look for places that have a mission that are nonprofit as opposed to commercial places. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Travel Guys. I'm Tom Romano. You're listening to Mark Hoffman tell us all about his recent visit to the Florida Keys and uh, Key West and in all of that with his sports leisure vacations, folks. And uh, yeah, so you're, you're coming in right on the middle of it. If you missed some and you want to go back, be sure to check out the podcast at TravelGuysRadio.com. Okay, to continue. So as you're going down from Miami and you hit Key Largo and you continue on down the Keys, you're going to hit the, inter, the intercoastal waterway. The um, Originally, a man named Henry Flagler built a railroad down to Key West, and a big hurricane in 1935 destroyed it. Some of the railroad right-of-way is still visible as you go down. Some of it's been fixed up and is places where people can fish. Some of it is just the old railroad trestles. Uh, but there is a highway. There's a bridge that's seven miles long, part of the Keys. Um, so you're going over these. Keys are little islands. So you're going over these little islands, and in some cases you're driving over the island, and you hit a bridge, and you hit another bridge, and you hit a couple of more keys. Uh, Marathon, after Key Largo, Marathon is the next fairly good-sized uh, town until you get down to Key West. It's going to take you about three hours from Miami. Um, it's a two-lane road most of the way, about 45-mile-an-hour speed limit. So it's it's something to – but the scenery is so cool that, you know, you've got the Gulf of Mexico on one side and the Atlantic Ocean on the other. So it's a it's a pretty cool area on the way down. So you get down to Key West. Um, we stayed at a place called La Concha. It's a uh, Crown Plaza right in the middle of town. It isn't the fanciest hotel in town, nor does it have an ocean view necessarily because it's in the middle of town. But the great thing is you can walk to everything. So you really don't need a rental car in Key West. Um, because you can do a lot of walking, or you can take a pedicab, or they do have taxis. Of course, they have Ubers and stuff like that. Um, La Concha, uh, Crown Plaza was where we stayed. Now, one thing you're going to want to do when you get to Key West is you're going to want to take one of the Old Town trolley tours. Um, we have a driver who has driven us for years down there. Louis has been driving the trolley. It would be 35 years this summer. Well. Louis like a, a comedian on wheels. Um, for an hour and 15 minutes, he will take you around Key West, and you will laugh more than you have in an hour and 15 minutes for a long time. Um, Louis is just – Louis is a treasure. And um, one of the reasons that our trip to Key West is so cool is because of people like him. 
he drives the trolley, which is how we get around town to all of the attractions and the like. We come in on a motor coach, and then we send it out. Uh, it goes back to Miami, and then we walk and use the trolley the rest of the time. You can stay in town or you can stay at the edge of town. I recommend that it should be determined by what you want to do. If you want to be in Key West proper and you want to drink and party and all that kind of stuff, then you need to stay at one of the places that are in town. If you're looking more for a beach sort of experience and you're just going to go into Key West in the evening, then you can get a ride in the evening if you don't have a rental car. Parking is a real premium in Key West. So that's, I mean, really, really, really a premium. Not necessarily at price, but just where the heck do you park? So if you're staying outside of town, you're going to take a a trolley, a shuttle into town, and that's going to be a little bit more inconvenient. It's going to cost you a little bit more money. So you kind of have to decide which Key West experience you want, whether you want the in-town experience or whether you want the beach experience. Um, If you're in town, one of the things that you're going to want to do is go to a place called La Tida. Did you have a question there, sir? I was just going to say, where do you st- where are you and your sports leisure vacationers stay? In town? Uh, we stay the in town at the at the Crown Plaza at La Concha because we're there for location. I've got mature travelers, and walking a few blocks to an attraction or to shop or eat or whatever um, is not an issue, but walking half a mile might be. So, and and our trips are kind of we we choose hotels. And accommodations that have location, we will pay up for location before we'll pay up for a beach. If that Got makes it. sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Latida. Latida. Um, if you go to Key West, promise me that you will go to Latida. Um, first of all, the food there is awesome. Um, it's not cheap, but it's awesome. And there's a show six nights a week, um, a, a drag show. Uh, two guys alternate putting on. Uh, we see Randy Roberts. He's become kind of a friend of ours. Um, and Randy is, is has some California history. And uh, he does uh, Cher and Bette Midler and himself. And it's an hour, hour and 15-minute show in a little cabaret room upstairs at La Tida. And it's just fun. Now, we also, full full disclosure, we pay the entertainer after the showroom clears out. He comes back out and talks to our group and tells them about his show and the like. So that's a little something, a little extra you get because you're, you're traveling with a tour company. But just if you go there, the tickets are 33 bucks, And one of the two guys, alter, like I say, they alternate. They each do three nights a week, Chris, Christopher and uh, Randy. And they're, it's quality entertainment. It's a lot of fun. And you should go and have dinner, too, because dinner at La Tida, it's mostly kind of an outdoor venue. And it's just really, really got to had some of the best prime rib there that I've ever had. And I say that every year when I go there. Um, key Lime Pie is popular all over Key West, obviously. Um, our people, we had some folks by the end of six days who said, I think I'm Key Lime pie out. <laughs> uh, most Key Lime Pie is made from a, a similar recipe, but the one there's one place in Key West, the Key Lime Pie Company, that makes it a little differently, doesn't have eggs in it, which is kind of fun. Anyway, lots of places to see there in Key West. There's Hemingway's House. There's Truman's Little White House. There's a butterfly conservatory that's great. Um, the vibe in Key West is just is a lot of fun. There's a lot of drinking that goes on there, particularly late in the evenings and on the weekends. You're going to pay a lot more money to go to Key West on the weekends. So if it doesn't matter to you, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and probably Thursday nights are going to be much lower room rates. So anyway, there's a little bit of a recap of our trip to Key West. We drove in 
by coach, and then we flew out of Key West back to Atlanta and home. I had a wonderful group of people, and we had a terrific time. So if you're going one recommendation in Key West, make sure you allow enough time. If you're on a cruise ship and you've only got part a day, that's one thing. But if you go to Key West as a destination, stay three or four nights and allow yourself enough time to really discover the little town. It's a two-by-four island, two miles by four miles. It's a great place, one of the great destinations in the country. All right, time to dip into the old travel guy's mailbag and answer some of your questions. Mark, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's uh, start off with uh, Lori's question regarding uh, traveling by herself. You know, I'm surprised at ladies these days that like to get out and go on their own. She wants to know what makes traveling single so expensive because you'll find that you know single occupancy or whatever is always a little more than when you're traveling with a friend it's it's really simple tom basically it has to do with the hotel room or if you're on a ship it has to do with the cabin on board the ship if if there're two people in a cabin or a hotel room they're splitting the cost if there's one person they're paying the whole freight so if a hotel room is $150 it's $75 for each person double occupancy, but for single occupancy, the person pays the whole 150 mm-hmm. So hotel rooms generally, there's only a, a, usually a slight difference between single and double occupancy, maybe a couple bucks, 10 bucks the most. So basically, that single supplement, they call it, is what you're, you're paying for having the other half of that accommodation not filled by somebody else. Now, some companies will match you up. Mm-hmm. With they'll say, well, you know, we'll partner you with somebody. Um, eh. we did that as a company at Sports Leisure Vacations for a year, a long time ago, and we found something out. There are a lot of perfectly nice people. I have a lot of single travelers. We cater to them, um, especially single ladies who travel with us, mature travelers. But there are some travelers, and uh, probably some people know a person like this. The reason they don't have a traveling companion is no one in their right mind who knows that person would even consider traveling with them. (laughs) So the reason we don't match people up automatically and the reason I suggest people be careful about getting matched up is because if you don't have a chance to meet that person ahead of time and talk about, you know, who's an early to bed and who's an early to rise and who likes the temperature warm at night and who likes it cold and uh, you know who eats breakfast and who doesn't and some of those things you're looking for at least some matches in there so you can be compatible yes you're 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 not going to you know move in with a stranger but you are going to move in with a stranger a little bit so be really careful about those guaranteed matches because in many cases not all of them but in I'm sure there are lots of people who have had great Random matches with roommates. But in some cases, the reason that person, that other person out there is looking for somebody is because nobody who knows them would consider traveling with them. So just be careful about that. We had that happen with us in the year that we tried it. A lady locked her traveling companion out of the room on the second day. <laughs> um, so just, just um, yeah. it's, but the reason that it's more expensive has to do with the accommodations. It's not because they hate single travelers or anything. It's because you are not sharing an accommodation and you have to pay the full price of it rather than half. There you go. Okay. Let's move on to uh, our second question in the, a travel guy's mailbag from uh, Caitlin, who asks about gate checking her bag. She said, it seems that airlines are always asking people to check their carry-on bags at the gate for free. 
So why should I check my small bag bag downstairs at the counter and pay for it if I can check it uh, for free at the gate? Excellent, excellent observation, Caitlin. And the only thing I can tell you is that that happens a lot, um, but it doesn't happen always. So if you're banking on the fact that um, they're going to let you check your bag for free and you just get upstairs and you march up to the counter and say, I'd like to check my bag, uh, maybe not. But if they get on the PA system and say, we're looking for about 15 people to check uh, carry-on bags here because we know we're not going to have enough room. And especially if you're in a high boarding group number, it's likely we're not going to have room for your bag. We'll be happy to check it for free. If you're on a commuter plane flight, oftentimes that bag will be available for you when you step off the plane. If you're on a long-distance flight, generally when they check it, it will just show up at luggage claim at your destination. So you don't have the convenience of, st- of stepping off the plane and having your bag with you. But yes, it is a way to get around that $35 bag charge pretty consistently when the airline asks for the volunteers, then they're not going to charge you. And now you've, yes, you've, you're have you very observant, Caitlin. Now you've saved 35 bucks. Okay. Christian writes, Mark, Mark, my man, a couple of weeks ago, you talked about the best and worst days for airfare. And hotel rates. I was driving and couldn't write it down. Probably happens a lot with this show. So could you could you post it? Uh, could you post it on your website? And while you're at it, why don't you just tell us right here on the radio? Well, I I don't have time to run it all down here again. But basically, um, Monday's Friday, Monday, Sunday, and Friday are the tough air days. Um, Saturday is the best day. I will, uh, as Kristen and several other people wrote and asked. I promise. It will be listed on the website. I'll put it under um, best days for air and hotel travel, and you can go to TravelGuysRadio.com and and look it up. It is worth it because if you don't have a particular day to travel, sometimes you can pick it out and you can play the hotel and air game and make them both work for you, save a few bucks. All right. Look, if you have a question you'd like answered by Mark, simply go to TravelGuysRadio.com. Right there on the homepage is a little place that you can you know, make comments to us or whatever, but certainly ask a question. Put it there. Mark will more than likely answer it back in an email to you. And uh, and then on many occasions when we have our mailbag, it'll be answered right here on the radio. That about wraps it up for this week. Dance like nobody's watching. Chris Elliott's going to join us next week to talk about renting electric cars. Outstanding. That should be a lot of fun. Thanks for being with us, my friends. You all stay well. We'll see you next time right here on The Travel Guys. Travel Guys.